0: You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Business Week on this Wednesday. Carol Masser along with Paul Sweeney. And joining us right now is Bloomberg News Higher Education finance reporter Janet Lauren on the phone in New York City. We talk so much about education. She covers it so well here at Bloomberg. Uh, And as we know, uh, higher ed in particular has been dealing really with two pandemics, and that includes, of course, COVID-19 and also systemic racism in our society. We've got a gut check on both. Thanks to Dr. Gregory Washington joining us. He's president at George Mason University. He joins us on the phone from Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, Dr. Washington, so nice to have you here with Janet and Paul and myself. You became president in July. Um, Talk about timing. (laughs) And you came into the job. You had a lot to deal with um, between the virus and, of course, you know, as I said, we had a dual pandemic. We've been dealing with systemic racism in our society. And you've talked about and written about the school dealing with its own identity crisis. Tell me about Coming into this job, kind of what was on your mind and how you prioritized everything and how you dealt
1: with it. Well, I'll be honest with you, it was like drinking through a fire hose. <laughs> I uh, it was, uh, you know, we we were actually dealing with three crises, mm. and so uh, the two you just mentioned, and being the pandemic and our crisis of racial inequity, but also we we're dealing with a budget crisis. Mm. Uh, because many states were struggling to support, uh, their state universities. And so we had a $124 million budget gap that I had to manage as well. So, uh, suffi- suffice to say to take care of the racial inequity problem required money, which I didn't have, right? So, uh, it, you know, we tackle the problem as I tackle most problems as an engineer, right? And in, in a methodical kind of way, right? You uh, you, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, and, uh, and and you tackle it by bringing groups of people together to help you solve uh, the problem. And so we established a task force on racial inequity and began and, and started that task force working towards coming up with solutions that were going to help the campus. And uh, as it relates to the pandemic, we put together a separate safer return to campus task force that focused on that. And and we've had tremendous results in both, and and, and that is propelling the institution uh, forward uh, at this particular point in time. So, uh, Janet, you know, Dr. Washington talking about the precarious finances which we're, we're hearing across so many different industries, and that includes higher education. What's your reporting been generally about? Boy, what some of these big colleges, universities, how they're trying to piece it all together from an economic perspective?
2: Well, well look, it's from a an tough economic. Time. Oh, sorry, i just going to ask well, you uh, go Janet Lauren. Well, it's a tough time, partly because uh, revenue isn't what schools uh, are used to seeing about this time. Uh, fewer enrollments uh, means less money. Uh, fewer students on campus means uh, fewer students are paying for um, dorms. There, there are fewer students are paying for dining services. Uh, they've all had to, many of them have had to uh, offer refunds for housing when students left in March. Uh, now, George Mason is bucking the trend a little bit in enrollment. Uh, we just had some numbers from the, from the National Clearinghouse data source, uh, which talked about a, a decline of 14% for freshman enrollment, and overall enrollments were down. But your enrollments were up about 2% this year with record enrollment. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you accomplish that and where those numbers come from?
1: Well, they uh, primarily come from in-state students, and... Uh You know, we we are the beneficiaries of a being in a part of the region of the country where uh, the population is still growing, and that helped us. Uh, But because we actually brought students back to campus, and we did so in an aggressive way, students didn't, uh, you know, feel the need not to come back. Right there Mm -hmm. was. Uh, if, you, if, you could, if you could take all of your classes online or if you were going to hit, be hit with exorbitant fees and costs in terms of going to school, people started to ask the question, maybe I should take a gap year. Maybe I should take some time off and not come back. Well, we made it advantageous and we made it uh, clear to our students that we were going to provide an environment uh, for them that was – Maybe not quite what they had uh, two years ago, but something really, really close. And we work really, really hard with providing all sorts of ways for students to congregate safely and uh, for them to enjoy fast food through our mobile robotic food delivery services. From and, and so we put a lot of different. Uh, you know, students can go to movies together. They go to. We have this large drive-in movies where students actually can do that together. Uh, and, and we did lots of virtual kinds of engagements with students. We had Tiffany Adish uh, on campus and other kinds of things. So so we've been able to figure out different ways to basically invent a new normal, which is what I think institutions are going to have to do because they're going to be dealing with the virus for right. quite some time. Well,
0: we just have about a minute, and then we'll do some news. But in about 45 seconds, I mean, how much does this set you back, This the virus, Financially, and again, just about forty-five, and then we'll come back and talk some more.
1: Well, look, the reality of the situation is it sets us back tremendously. Um, we're we are talking about a uh, average student twelve thousand dollars per head for room and board, and if you and and, and we got sixty-eight hundred slots, mm-hmm. so you just do the math. That's seventy, eighty million dollars lost when we don't bring students back to campus, and it and the numbers just go up from there. So. The, num- the, the, the losses are huge, over $100 million for us, and we brought students back. If we didn't, it would be closer to 150, $200 million. Janet,
0: we were talking about financials there, and I know that's you, it's something you keep a close watch on when it comes to colleges and universities.
2: Yes, and in addition to um, less revenue coming in, we've been hearing a lot from colleges about more money they're spending on things like plexiglass and trying to configure testing and paying for testing and uh, and so much more. And I would love to hear about some of the expenses that you've seen at George Mason that perhaps you weren't necessarily expecting.
1: Uh, yes, look, the biggest expense uh, for us uh, has been uh, the preparation for uh, testing. Um, putting in place you know, the average cost of a test can run upwards of $120 per test. And, uh, and that's when you count, uh, take into account not just the test itself, but wow. the corresponding infrastructure that you actually have to have in place to ensure that the students get the results, that they get them in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, you have to coordinate the results with the, with the local health department. Uh, so that they understand uh, when a potential outbreak uh, is occurring. And then you have to uh, uh, be able to record the results in the proper format relative to uh, medical records. So there are a whole host of additional infrastructural costs besides the cost of the test themselves that go on top of it. And so you could easily spend upwards of $100 per test, and there are universities that are spending that without question. And then you got to get your campuses ready for students and staff to come back. And so that's signage, that's plexiglass, that's uh, putting information on the floors, that's changing uh, uh, and, and, you know, entering and exiting uh, 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 protocols for how people will enter and exit buildings that may even the uh, modifications and changing to the air handling systems uh, and upgrading air handling systems in buildings to accommodate, uh, uh, you know, people who will be in those buildings with COVID.
0: Right. Hard to do, you know, in a normal year where revenue flows are normal, harder to do when they're not, exactly. So what does spring look like? What does, you know, a year from now, next fall, look like? Let's start with spring. You know, what are you
1: guys expecting? So... We're not managing the virus too well right now as a, yeah. and what that means for us is that we're going to see uh, the spring look very similar to the fall. Mm. It's going to be a restart, right? Uh, uh, our students are going to go home many you know many campuses, despite the outbreaks that you've heard about, a significant number of us have actually have environments that have positivity rates lower than the surrounding communities in which the students come from and will go to. And so Mm -hmm. that's the case for George Mason. Our students will undoubtedly, over the break, some of them will bring the virus back to the campus. And so we have a pre-testing regimen that we had to put in place to account for that. And, And it looks like we're starting all over from scratch again, but this time with just a little bit more knowledge because we did learn a lot from the fall. But it, it is indeed a restart. And so uh, lots of uh, pre-testing, getting the students here, and then managing student behavior to keep outbreaks from happening and get us throughout the end of the spring. So we'd be remiss. <laughs> go ahead, Janet. I know we were, we were both kind of
0: all messaging each other because we'd be remiss if we don't go and, and ask you about what has been You know the other crisis, and that is racism. And you've got a university, George Mason, named for a slave owning founding father. Are you guys talk (laughs) talk? I mean, talk to us about that. I mean, are you thinking about a name change? What happens?
1: So actually, it was believe it or not the very first question that I was asked by a reporter. I thought I was going to get a question talking about how is it to lead an institution, <laughs> you know, in these difficult times. And the very first question is, George Mason was a slave owner. What are you going to do about that? Yeah. And um, so, so I actually, I went to work. I actually, <laughs> I learned a lot about George Mason, but yeah. I also learned a lot about the country. Um, look, 12 of our first 18 U.S. presidents owned enslaved individuals at some point in their lives and nine of them while working at the White House, okay? Um, 41 of the 56 signatories of the Declaration of Independence, right? (laughs) 25 of the 55 men who wrote the Constitution all owned slaves. It was part of the the economic system of our country at that time. And so to throw all of that out, you would literally have to throw out the country and so we took a different approach and that is to commemorate individuals like George Mason and Thomas Jefferson and all those individuals like that right. for their contributions but not celebrate uh them for how they handle slaves and it it sounds like a cliche but it was one of the things and then, right. and then we used it to enter the campus into a discussion of the contributions right. that many of those enslaved individuals had on the campus, Doctor so, Washington actually for us came out into a great place,
0: Doctor Washington. We're running out of time. Do come back because I would love um, to continue this conversation with you and hear you know how you guys are managing through and just dealing with those three crises. i um, really appreciate it, Doctor Washington, President at George Mason, along with our Janet Lauren, Bloomberg News Higher Education Finance Reporter. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio.